This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. To pain.tv slash gold, my name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. Ladies and gentlemen, over the break, I was just thinking for a minute. I've done this exercise before. I want you to do it as well, maybe tonight or tomorrow, whenever it is you have time. And just sit back on your favorite lounge chair or outside if you're sitting in a, a patio chair staring off into your yard or your farm, or whatever, wherever it is you may be, wherever you're comfortable, I don't know, laying in bed, just close your eyes and try to visualize yourself living out on 10 acres of wooded land. Maybe you have an acre cleared, you farm there, you've got cattle and stuff. Totally free and clear of the government, the banks. Let's say you just own it outright. That's your homestead. You have the right to defend it, build a fence around it. You could build anything you want. There's no restrictions of government whatsoever. Everything there is yours, and you have all the tools, okay, to be able to farm it and everything you need. Like, you could just snap your fingers and go to that place right now. You're going to lose everything else you have. You won't have an internet. You don't have a phone. uh, You don't have electricity. Just pretend all that's gone, and you're there. Would you really want that? Is that what you want? If you could just snap your fingers and be there, you don't have to continue to work your butt off to get to it. I mean, once you snap your fingers and get to that place, you're going to have a lot of work to do because you're going to wake up and have to farm and you're going to have to graze your cattle. You're going to have to slaughter the uh, pig, you know, for food. You're going to have to cook over a fire. You know, could you really do that? And if not, if not, and that's not what you want, but you want a half Amish version of that. You want to have electricity at the house. You want to have internet. You want to have your phone. You want to have, I don't know, a TV or your computer so you could watch YouTube videos or whatever it may be. You want to live um, half in the matrix. Then you have to ask yourself, where do you draw the line? What are the things that you think the government, the state should be doing? How many of these corporations are you going to allow to be in your life, you know, if you're purchasing internet from them or such? See, it's very complex. Unfortunately, you could probably spend the rest of your life trying to think about that alone. But when we talk about freedom and we talk about unleashing ourselves from the system, stepping outside of the system, this is why I say for us, at least at my age, 41, living one foot in and one foot out is probably the realistic approach. Because I don't think most people want to go full Amish, nor are they prepared to do that. I'm not trying to direct you one way or the other. And I think if everyone is trying to get out to some homestead they built, each of us would have a different version of that. Because we're going to want more of the technocracy than others. 
you know, but it's this balance. And I think when you have these conversations, you start to think about this. I, I've talked to Wide Awake Jim about it. I've talked to Legal Man about it. I've talked to others. Uh, how much of the technocracy are you willing to put up with? Or how much of it do you actually want? Um, those luxuries. And I understand with each piece that I accept, I'm actually giving up a little more of my freedom. Although I perceive it to be freedom or convenience to have those things, I know in the end they are actually uh, the opposite of freedom. Connecting myself up to the internet, I don't look at it as being free. I actually look at it as being trapped further into the matrix. I think it's just interesting to think this way. I don't know many others who actually talk about this kind of stuff but uh it fascinates me borderlines on philosophy but if you're trying to build yourself a new life with one foot outside of the system i think you really need to think through this stuff as you're putting together your goals and your plans for the future paragraph 94 uh, and this is the author now uh his idea of freedom by freedom we mean the opportunity to go through the power process with real goals not the artificial goals of surrogate activities and without interference manipulation or supervision from anyone especially from any large organization freedom means being in control either as an individual or a member of a small group, of the life and death issues of one's existence. Food, clothing, shelter, and defense against whatever threats there may be in one's environment. Freedom means having power. Not the power to control other people, but the power to control the circumstances of one's own life. One does not have freedom if anyone else, especially a large organization, has power over one. No matter how benevolently, uh, tolerantly, and permissively that power may be exercised, it is important not to confuse freedom with mere permissiveness. All right? That's really important, folks, because this author was able to define freedom through his eyes. Okay, so I think you should do that. It should be an exercise for you. What does freedom mean to you? Start to write this down. How do you define freedom? And there's no right or wrong answer, okay? And no one is judging you. Each person's idea of freedom is going to be different. But this author wrote it down. I think you should do the same. Uh, paragraph 95, it is said that we live in a free society because we have a certain number of constitutionally guaranteed rights, but these are not as important as they seem. The degree of personal freedom that exists in a society is determined more by the economic and technological structure of the society than by its laws or its form of government. Most of the Indian nations of New England were monarchies, and many of the cities of the Italian Renaissance were controlled by dictators. But in reading about these societies, one gets the impression that they allowed for more personal freedom than our society does. In part, this was because they lacked efficient mechanisms for enforcing the ruler's will. 
There were no modern, well-organized police forces, no rapid long-distance communications, no surveillance cameras, no dossiers of information about the lives of average citizens. Hence, it was relatively easy to evade control. Think about that. So far, that is the most important piece from this document that we have read, I would say. The most important piece. They're not even talking about the level of tyranny that we see today, 28 years after this was written. But look what the author is talking about. Go back in time to areas that were run by dictators, but they did not have technocracy. They did not have the technological means to actually enforce all of the laws, the regulations, the policies. And now we're entering into a system, central bank digital currency, which will control where you can buy, where you can sell, who you can buy from, who you can sell to, when you can buy how much you can buy, what areas you can go to, where you can travel to, a system of complete and total control. And if you try to evade that system, folks, we we are responsible for having built a, a whole entire technological prison planet around ourselves. Never mind what may or may not have been in the jab and or booster. Who knows? Who knows? I'm just talking about putting on the iWatch, wearing the Fitbit, carrying the phone, carrying the tablet, carrying the computer, having a car with a computer inside of it. I'm talking about all the ring cameras and doorbells and closed caption circuit TVs and smart televisions and uh, smart devices and smart thermostats and smart everything folks we built this internet of things around ourselves connected ourselves up to the internet of bodies we can be controlled we could be told what to do it becomes harder and harder to actually evade the system that's why i said yesterday if you are complaining about tyranny you cannot continue to comply with the tyranny You will not beat tyranny by complying with tyranny. You have to unleash yourself from this system. Unfortunately, they've made it into a society and a culture in which if you want any semblance of freedom, you have to be an outlaw now. Everything you're doing, you're violating a law. Before it wouldn't matter, but now they can track you everywhere you go. And once central bank digital currency comes into place, it will be very easy to do. The police don't need to show up at your door with guns. They just turn your Uncle Sam digital wallet off. Or they take away some of your carbon credit tokens. All right? That's what this author is talking about here. Even though you may have lived under a dictatorship 500 years ago... You could violate pretty much all the rules because they didn't have the police force, let alone the technological slave state system that we have today that keeps you within the confines of the digital slave plantation. All right, paragraph 96. As for our constitutional rights, consider, for example, that freedom of the press. 
We certainly don't mean to knock that, right? It is a very important tool for limiting concentration of political power and for keeping those who do have political power in line by publicly exposing any misbehavior on their part. But freedom of the press is of very little use to the average citizen as an individual. The mass media are mostly under the control of large organizations that are integrated into the system. And we know this. I mean, what was the latest charts that we've seen? All the major corporate media has been concentrated under six companies. I believe it's five now. Uh, But since this was written in 95, we've seen social media. So now everyone believes they have a voice. But you know you don't have a voice Because as soon as you say something that's controversial to the system, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, whatever digital ghetto you live on, they just shut you down. All right. As soon as you say something that may be against the law, you might have the cops knocking on your door because we know all of those social media companies work in conjunction with the state. In fact, they were all funded and started with state money. None of them are truly independent companies. It goes on to say anyone who has a little money can have something printed or can distribute it on the internet or in some such way. But what he has to say will be swamped by the vast volume of materials put out by the media. Hence, it will have no practical effect. So he's putting this into context back in 95 that you could put something out, but mass media will just destroy it. To make an impression on society with words is therefore almost impossible for most individuals and small groups. Take us, FC, this is uh, his group, for example. If we had never done anything violent and had submitted the present writings to a publisher, they probably would not have been accepted. If they had been accepted and published, they probably would not have attracted many readers, because it's more fun to watch the entertainment put out by the media than to read a sober essay. If FF, these writings, it should be if, even if these writings had had many readers, most of these readers would soon have forgotten what they had read as their minds were flooded by the mass of material to which the media exposed them. In order to get our message before the public with some chance of making a lasting impression, we've had to kill people. All right, that's what the author is saying, okay? They're saying they had to kill people in order to get people to read uh, their message. Now, I'm just going to put this, uh, and we'll get into that, folks. Don't worry when we uh, when we review the author of this paper. Uh, but but the point that I want to make here is let's just fast forward 28 years later. Again, this is written in 1995. Uh, someone like myself, who's not a shill, I'm not propped up, I'm not promoted. Uh, yeah, I joined Mike Moore in the beginning. Uh, the purpose was to help kind of kick this off. Didn't go as um, I think as Mike has planned or I planned, we had to go in a sort of different direction because Mike was under attack. He was censored. Okay, your reach as someone who's truly independent is not going to be very far, especially, and I'm not standing out in the town green with flyers. I used to do that in my 20s, and it was actually quite effective. But right now you're on the internet. And you can use search engine optimization, and you could do some marketing, but you're really not going to break through on a huge level. All right, there's no one that's truly independent that is going to grow to the size of Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or any of this other state-sponsored propaganda media. It's just not going to happen. 
This is not going to occur. It's impossible because you're fighting against the system within a system that's controlled and owned by the system. As I've said, we're battling technocrats on their own battlefield. They control the internet. The internet was created by the government. It's now run by all of these government partners like Amazon Web Services. So you can't beat the system on the system's own battlefield. All right. And that is what this author is getting at here as far as freedom of press goes. Sure, you have the freedom to supposedly say anything, which now you know is not true because they've turned the town square into Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and these other ghettos that are controlled by artificial intelligence algorithms, by artificial intelligence systems that are working in cooperation with the state that's supposedly there to protect your freedom of press, which is a complete and total lie. I mean, the government is there to supposedly protect your constitutional rights, but you always find yourself fighting the government for your supposed constitutional rights. And if you want to learn more about constitutional rights, I recommend that you listen to Legal Man of the quash because he nails it on every single one of his podcasts ladies and gentlemen i'll be right back this is dust to go with the dust of gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Pain.tv slash gold. And as you know, ladies and gentlemen, or in case you're just joining us, we are... Reviewing Industrial Society and Its Future, this paper written in 1995. The author just said they actually had to kill people to get people to actually listen to the writings in this paper. And as I said, we're going to get into that once we review the author upon completion of analysis of this paper from 1995. We just got done talking about freedom of the press Ladies and gentlemen, now we will continue. This is paragraph 97. Constitutional rights are useful up to a point, but they do not serve to guarantee much more than what might be called the bourgeois conception of freedom. According to the bourgeois conception, a free man is essentially an element of a social machine and has only a certain set of prescribed and delimited freedoms, freedoms that are designed to serve the needs of the social machine more than those of the individual. Thus, the bourgeois free man has economic freedom because that promotes growth and progress. He has freedom of the press because public criticism restrains misbehavior by political leaders. He has a right to a fair trial because imprisonment at the whim of the powerful would be bad for the system. Okay, and you'll see this throughout time depending on uh, which 
time frame within history you're looking at, obviously, rights and freedoms, the way that we were trained to perceive them through the public indoctrination school system, are always these rights that comply within the framework of the system, and so that it benefits the system. And I can continue to break down what he just said there and add different examples. And I, I don't a hundred percent necessarily agree with what the author is saying there. I think it's sort of simplified, uh, but I'm not going to do that. Not right now. I think we're going to have a larger discussion in the future on a lot of this. Goes on to say this was clearly the attitude of Simon uh, Bolivar. To him, people deserved liberty only if they used it to promote progress, progress as conceived by the bourgeois, right? And so if you go back to the late 1800s, looking at the eugenics folks that grew out of the economy movement, uh, the progressive era, these eugenicist economists, uh, they believed you had the freedom to bear children, right? You had the right to do that if... You were going to help promote the progress of the system. If you did not, then you would be chemically castrated, right? If you were considered to be feeble-minded or unfit or unemployable. It goes on to say other bourgeois thinkers have taken a similar view of freedom as a mere means to collective ends. Chester C. Tan Quote, Chinese political thoughts in the 20th century, end quote, page 202, explains the philosophy of the Kwamatang leader Hu Han Min. Quote, an individual is granted rights because he is a member of society and his community life requires such rights. By community, who meant the whole society of the nation, end quote. And on page 259, Tan states that according to Carson Chang, Chang Chun Mai, head of the State Socialist Party in China, freedom had to be used in the interest of the state and of the people as a whole. But what kind of freedom does one have if one can use it only as someone else prescribes? And, and that's a lot of what uh, we've seen. Uh, over modern history, this is what you're experiencing in your own life, folks. You have the freedom to go out without a mask as long as you're carrying a vaccine card. You have a freedom to own a gun as long as it fits in with all the various rules and regulations and policies and it's registered with the state. Right, You have the freedom of speech, as long as that speech complies within our rules and regulations. Okay, And one can say, well, I don't agree with that speech, or that speech would be dangerous. Well, all of a sudden now we're limiting each other's speech, so do you truly have freedom? You can own an old revolver that only has uh, four bullets, but you can't own an AR-15. Well, then do you really have freedom? freedom is there really a second amendment now because the freedom is defined by the state in whatever uh, form the state is at that given time and as you see slowly the state is trying to take even these perceived constitutional rights away because slowly those rights 
are not fitting into the system that we are moving into. So at some point, those rights benefited the system, and now they're not benefiting the system. And there's certain things that were not necessarily a right, or they were found to be illegal. I don't know, like marijuana, uh, being a homosexual, whatever. And then over time, those things changed because the change now benefited the state. So they will give two men the right to get married because now all of a sudden that benefits the state. It's not about giving freedom to the individual. It's about giving them freedom on a particular issue in which that issue now benefits the state the society the system all right do you understand fc's conception of freedom is not that of bolivar hugh chang or other bourgeois theorists the trouble with such theorists is that they have made the development and application of social theories their surrogate activity Consequently, the theories are designed to serve the needs of the theorists more than the needs of any people who may be unlucky enough to live in a society on which the theories are imposed. Okay, and so the other thing I'll point back out to what the author said earlier, I want to point back to this, that within the system all these supposed rights and then you have uh, laws and policies and regulations that then limit those rights uh in past days the so-called state uh the society the engine the machine could not necessarily enforce all of the limitations on your rights but now as we enter further into technocracy we can and this author i think was calling this out back in 95 because we were at the forefront of an acceleration uh, in the advancement of technology that we hadn't seen for quite some time remember the internet was just entering households in 95 all right with aol dial-up and such and now look where we are today paragraph 98 one more point to be made in this section it should not be assumed that a person who has enough freedom just because he says he has enough freedom freedom is restricted in part by psychological controls of which people are unconscious and moreover many people's ideas of what constitutes freedom are governed more by social convention than by their real needs for example, the author points out, it's likely that many leftists of the over-socialized type would say that most people, including themselves, are socialized too little rather than too much, yet the over-socialized leftist pays a heavy psychological price for his high level of socialization. Now think about the folks that you know. Uh, maybe it was even you. If you identify as on the right or you came from the right, as did Justin, our cowboy guest, as did Mark, our scripture guest, who came from the right, but now sort of they're woke to all of this stuff. Uh, people like myself, even, you go back to the days of 9-11 and then the Patriot Act rolls out. And some people would have been screaming that this is unconstitutional, they're going to spy on us. And folks would say, listen, we have enough freedom. We have enough freedom. Uh, if you're afraid that the government is spying on your phone calls or your internet searches, then you must be doing something wrong. So they were saying that because they were fitting themselves into the system, right? Uh, 
They were allowing themselves to be governed more by social convention than by their real needs, which would be, you know, true freedom, right? So we see this playing out. We see people even saying this today, especially through COVID land, the high school theater production. All right. You have enough freedom. You have the freedom to go in the store. You just have to put a mask over your face and suffocate yourself. But you have freedom. You have freedom to go in the store, but you have to follow the dotted line. You have the freedom to go to work. You just have to take a jab in your arm. You see, that's what happens. We're entering a new section here. Some principles of history. Paragraph 99, think of history as being the sum of two components, an erratic component that consists of unpredictable events that follow no discernible pattern, and a regular component that consists of long-term historical trends. Here, we are concerned with the long-term trends. Okay, so we're looking at history here as being the sum of two components, And I'll repeat this, an erratic component that consists of unpredictable events that follow no discernible pattern, and a regular component that consists of long-term historical trends. Okay, we're going to focus on the long-term trends. Paragraph 100, first principle, if a small change is made that affects a long-term historical trend then the effect of that change will almost always be transitory. The trend will soon revert to its original state. And the author gives an example. A reform movement designed to clean up political corruption in a society rarely has more than a short-term effect. Sooner or later, the reformers relax and corruption creeps back in. The level of political corruption in any given society tends to remain constant or to change only slowly with the evolution of the society. Normally, a political cleanup will be permanent only if accompanied by widespread social changes. A small change in the society won't be enough. If a small change in a long-term historical trend appears to be permanent... It is only because the change acts in the direction in which the trend is already moving so that the trend is not altered by only pushed a step ahead. But, but it should say, but only pushed a step ahead. And so think about that, folks. I, I mean, I can only go off my own uh, life. I fought corruption in New Haven, Connecticut, in the state of Connecticut in general. When I was out there with the organization, Uh, that I founded along with some other folks. And we were on the news, on radio, uh, holding live events, showing up at town council meetings, showing up at the state legislature. We started to see some changes. But as soon as I left, being the head of the organization, I stepped back to get back to my real life, my career in uh, creative endeavors, Uh, The folks beneath me were not as natural leaders as I was. So the movement began to crumble very quickly. Within a matter of a few months, all of them sort of gave up and went home. And the corruption and the criminality and all of that stuff just came right back. Connecticut is worse than it's ever been. It's just part of that system and it's not going to change you know some there's some sheepdogs who run around and try to change it it changes for the short term if that even if you can make a dent in it and then it goes right back to where it was 
Right. So as the author says, normally a political cleanup will be permanent only if accompanied by widespread social changes. A small change in the society won't be enough. Now, as you know, it's uh, basically impossible for us as individuals to change society on any sort of grand scale. It's, it's, it's frankly impossible. But society is continually changing because it's engineered. Okay, the changes are engineered from the top down. They don't come from the bottom up. It goes on to say, paragraph 101, the first principle is almost a tautology. If a trend were not stable with respect to small changes, it would wander at random rather than following a definite direction. In other words, it would not be a long-term trend at all. 102 says, second principle, if a change is made that is sufficiently large to alter permanently a long-term historical trend, then it will alter the society as a whole. In other words, a society is a system in which all parts are interrelated, and you can't permanently change any important part without changing all other parts as well. This is very important. All right, I'm going to go through, we went through the first, this is the second, I'm going to do the third and the fourth, and then we're going to take a short break. Paragraph 103, third principle, if a change is made that is large enough to alter permanently a long-term trend, then the consequences for the society as a whole cannot be predicted in advance, unless various other societies have passed through the same change and all have experienced the same consequences, in which case one can predict on empirical grounds that another society that passes through the same change will be likely to experience similar consequences. And paragraph 104, fourth principle, a new kind of society cannot be designed on paper. That is, you cannot plan out a new form of society in advance, then set it up and expect it to function as it was designed to do. Now, I think the author, and we'll, and we'll see this momentarily, I think the author is actually referring to, let's say, you and I, right, trying to set up a new society, or us trying to make change within society. I would argue at the top levels, we are seeing the change is being made. They are planned on paper. We see the documents from Wide Awake Jim coming out of the Bank for International Settlements. We see the papers on smart cities and 15-minute cities and all of this other stuff coming. We see all the original blueprints going back to Technocracy Incorporated in 1919, the 1920s, 1930. But we do see some of the stuff that the technocrats are trying to move forward with not succeeding because they are planning and sometimes they just can't engineer that change they need in order to change society. But if you remember, and I think this is why these guys are successful, one, they're doing it from the top so they do have the ability to force the change. They do have the ability to engineer people into the change. It was technocracy founder howard scott who said basically we'll just engineer people into the change by changing let's say the technology or the car they're driving if they want everyone to drive ev cars they can just stop production on gas-powered cars because they control the market only put out ev cars and then you don't have a choice about whether or not you're going to buy an ev car now you and i may hate it 
But if my son Willie G grows up and that's the only car, that's all he knows. So sometimes it will take them a full generation to engineer that social change. All right, ladies and gentlemen, think about that. It's complex, but I'm glad we're having this conversation. We have to be realistic about all this. This is not designed to blackpill you. It's designed to help you understand the system we're living in and to understand how it works and to understand it from the perspective of an author, I believe, who actually had this all figured out a long time ago. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. 